Brother Bob, and Lord, what you have laid upon his heart, he would be able to minister to your people, and that you would just give him courage, give him understanding, and Lord, that you would just do a work amongst us. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My own blood pressure story was that uh, <laughs> I have always been blessed with low blood pressure, despite my size, despite my family history. I've always had lower than normal, and I uh, just never had to worry about it. And went in for a DOT physical, and they, let's just say, took a sample, and they, uh, she came out, and she said, um, so what medication are you using for your diabetes? Well, I'm not diabetic. You better go see your doctor. Let's take your blood pressure. And, yeah, there goes my low blood pressure at that point. <laughs> I was very high. I kept thinking my feet were going to fall off and, and I had visions of what shots and, oh, my. So, uh, yeah, blood pressure can go certainly go up and down. <laughs> Turned off the lights and had me lay down for a while on the exam table to calm down. <laughs> then she retook it. <laughs> uh, all right, so. I have something to share this morning. I've actually uh, been sitting on this for a while. I, uh, I, I, uh, I go through the books of the Bible in my quiet time. I go through a entire book and I, and I meditate and I think on it. But I tell you, I've been stuck for probably a month and a half on Ephesians. There is so much in Ephesians that I just, I just could not get off of it. I was on chapter 5 for the longest time. And I, and I thought, what a, what a, Fun thing, what a, a, a edifying thing to do would be to write my own commentary. Go verse by verse and just kind of prayerfully consider some thoughts on that particular verse and, uh, and write it out. And, and then I was almost done with it and I realized, you know, this is basically a sermon. <laughs> I mean, that's, but instead of a topic, I'm, I'm going through a chapter. We're going to be going through Ephesians chapter 5 today. In the early 60s, there was a fellow who did a home church by the name Chuck Smith. And this is what he did. He just went verse by verse by verse. And today we know it as the world's largest non-denomination denomination called Calvary Chapel. Um, but they pride themselves on going verse by verse by verse. And it, it actually, it's just, it took me in a different mindset to get there. Um, now keep in mind, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be as sensitive as possible. I... Uh, I am going through the Bible right now in my quiet times through New King James. And so this is how the commentary was written. There are just very few words. And I, and I went through with the King James to try to try to write in by pencil the uh, other words that would be used in King James. So I hope not to offend anybody. And I hope to address the way it was translated in King James versus how it's translated in New King James as we go along without making any commentary about the translations. But just... Uh, to kind of make sure we're all on the literal same page. So let's pray. Uh, Father, what a letter. This was an amazing letter, Lord. It was written from, uh, from prison. It was written from a man who had nothing to do but uh, to talk to one or two guards at a time and to pray about all the churches that he had planted, to pray over your Holy Spirit's work outside the prison walls where he couldn't see and heard very little uh, Lord, we thank you for this letter and for the other letters that, that he wrote uh, within within the prison. And we pray, Father, that you would help us if, if today is there's anything that, that sets us, Lord, inside that prison, that you would help us to be set free as we listen to these wonderful, 
wonderful words in Jesus' name. I had a chance once to go to uh, Witt's church down in down in uh, Roseburg, and uh, I was uh, I and I think everybody else was a little bit amazed as starting from verse one, chapter one, all the way to the very end of Ephesians. Witt just stood up there and did it from memory, the entire book. Oh man, I, I had struggles getting one or two verses down. So, <laughs> but it is quite the book. Ephesians, I I I am so overwhelmed with the doctrine and the teaching and the, and everything that's in there. Uh, I'm just going to th- throw a few verses at you guys to kind of encourage you to, to set and meditate verse by verse on in your quiet times. Um, in 1 John 2.27, here's a couple different translations of the same verse. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, as is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath, hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Uh, slightly different translated, Christ gave you a special gift. You still have this gift in you, so you don't need anyone to teach you. The, the gift he has, uh, the gift he gave you teaches you about everything. It is a true gift, not a false one. So continue to live in Christ as the gift has taught you. And here perhaps is a, a little bit deeper. But Christ has blessed you with the Holy Spirit. Now that the Spirit says in you that you don't need any teachers. The Spirit is truthful and teaches you everything. So stay one in your heart with Christ just as the Spirit has taught you. I'm not saying you don't. there isn't a role for teachers in the church, obviously. Um, it talks about the, the the five whole ministries, and teaching is part of it. So you do need to talk, but just setting, just in your quiet time, grab that chapter and don't just read it to get it done and do a little check mark in your your Bible reading for the day that you're getting through the Bible. But actually, ask the Lord, teach me what this means. And that's what I did in, in Ephesians chapter five. I was going through. There was so many good things. I had to beg God, Wow, what does that mean? What does that mean? So I'm just going to share with you just a few things. Verse one. Therefore, be imitators, King James would say followers, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. The love and respect a child is born with towards their dad is a God-given gift, an example given to us to see of the proper relationship that we are to have with God, a want to be close, an awe in how he does things, a childish attempt to do the same things. It's fun play for a child who loves their dad. You know, the, the children who, who want to weld things because dad welds, or the child who wants to chop wood, or the child who even wants to shave uh, before they even, even if they're a girl. You know, the ch- children want to do what daddy's doing. And that's that excitement that I think Paul was trying to capture there. Be followers of God, be imitators of God. Um, uh, Maria Montessori, she was a doctor in Italy, uh, turn of the century, died I think in 1954. Um, but but she observed these special needs children. That's what the government gave her to teach. But she saw these children, and they were learning things by doing things. There was this natural drive within them to learn. We got we have a God given natural drive in us to be followers of God. If we allow that, if we exercise that, if we're looking at what God's doing and see Him as a Father, we're going to be following that. That's a that's a God given gift within us. Verse 2, and to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know, I was saying about this verse and praying about it, and I was thinking that, that second word there, walk. 
To walk means to move, right? Not to sit in that chair and look at that door 20 feet away and say, I want to walk through that door. Where's the evidence? If you're sitting down, you're not moving. You're not going towards that door. You're not. There is no evidence that anybody can see that that's actually your desire. You can say it all day long. I want to walk through that door. And you're not going to go there. Uh, then you don't really have that desire. You could sit there and you could hear about other people telling their stories about walking through that door. That doesn't show that you have a desire. You personally have a desire to walk through that door. You, you, could, um, you could talk to people about how wonderful it would be to walk through that door and how you're going to do it. But again, it's that walking. How much more so in, in our lives? If we just sit in church and we just hear about the good things of God, if we pray the good things of God, we listen to the right music about the good things of God, but we're not busy about talking to people and, and busy about keeping our lives pure and busy about helping the orphans and the widows. If we're not doing the stuff that God has told us to do, then it's just as silly as somebody sitting in a chair talking all day long about going through a door and not moving. There's no evidence of movement. Let there be evidence in our lives. Um, one note here is that love does. Uh, is a giving of himself. The, the love in that verse, uh, he loved us by giving himself. That action. That love should be a, a standard of our love for him. A giving, even to the point of death, let alone the little sacrifices of saying no to ungodly, the ungodly trinity. In our lives, you know, the world, our flesh, and Satan. A sweet-smelling aroma. Just, just a thought on that. If I've had a hard day and I've just been, just oh, I just want to be home and relax. And I walk through the door, and there's this wonderful odor, this wonderful meal that's been prepared for the last three or four hours, slow cooking, and and all the, the it's like a wall. Have you ever experienced that? You walk in, and it's a wall. It's ah. Oh, that sweet-smelling aroma of home. I'm home. And that, that's what Christ wants to see out of our life. He doesn't want to see us just sitting around and not getting dinner ready. He, he wants to see us doing the things. And that doing is a sweet aroma to God. Think of it that way. Ephesians 5.3 But fornication and on all uncleanness or covetousness, let it, not be even be, uh, let it not even be named among you as fitting for saints. He starts out that verse by saying, but it's in contrast. It's the opposite direction from where he was just at. We were just talking about the sweet smelling aroma. We were just talking about what is expected of us. We were just talking about giving that he gave himself. We're talking about that. But this is in the opposite direction. Fornication, the word pornania in, in uh, Greek. It's harlotry. It's sexual perversion. It's a deviation from prescribed activity that God has given for a man and a woman. It's a different direction. It's a different direction. Think of uh, all the ministers and the pastors and the leaders that you've heard fall into sexual sin. And, and uh, what a public scandal. What a public scandal. What, what It shakes the faith of those people who've listened to them or read stuff from them. It makes them wonder, is this stuff really real they're talking about? It's a scandal. What worse is a scandal in heaven if we're in secret sin and no one knows it? If we're not confessing it, if we're not obeying it? Yeah, it's a great public scandal that, that, that Satan just jumps all over. But what about our private lives? Be thinking about that. Not, let it not ever be named among us. Uncleanness is an impurity. It's a mixing of good with bad, right and wrong. Calling something clean, even when it's mixed with, it, with that which is dirty. To get something truly 
clean, someone has to work on it. There's a, a price to pay. You've got to buy the cleaner. You've got to use the elbow grease. You've got to use the, the scratchy pad. You've got to do whatever. Uh, we, we, there's a chemical reaction in our house. It's not our lack of cleanliness, trust me, but there's a chemical reaction in our house between our well water and onions. I don't know why, but onions and our well water will make this really dark red stain on our, our sink faster than anything else. And so we just have to pour bleach in here and just let it soak for a while. Um, but there's a cost to that bleach. There's, a, there's, you know, you can look at the hands of some of my children who I reach in and unplug it. There's, there's a, there's a burning. There's a cost to that cleanliness. It takes effort. Whereas uncleanness doesn't, does it? It just kind of seems to happen as you're doing things. As you're cutting up the onions, it just seems to happen in the, uh, in the kitchen, or at least in our house. Um, so there's an effort to clean this. But when we allow two things to mix like that, clean and unclean, we, we can't call that clean. Even though we took the effort, there's uncleanness there. It can't be, so, um, so it can't be mixed. Uh, and then this word unclean, or uh, cleanness, I want to catch this word here in the verse, or uncleanness or covetousness. Both are important to be without as a Christian. No mixing clean with unclean or giving away our contentment that we have in Christ for this wanting, for this desire to have more. This shouldn't be named among us. These things are right on that same level as sexual morality. Ephesians 5.4 Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse joking which are not fitting or convenient in King James. Fitting, but... Is it convenient? I can't read my writing here. What is it in King James? It is fitting. Okay. Um, but rather giving of thanks. So God has given us this, this uh, ability to speak and talk. How are we using it? Are we, are we showing people that we want to follow God again? Are we getting off the chair and walking to that door? Or are we just talking about it? Are we just talking about it? Are we allowing, of course, joking and, and foolish talk to be in our lives? It's not fitting. It's not proper. It, Try to picture this. If you're in a grocery store and you look over there and there's, there's a small child. Mama, Mama, I want this. I'm going to have this. I want it. And the child, Mom, no, no. And put it on the counter and the child grabs it and, and they're screaming and yelling and there's, there's festering and, you know, we're, we're just thinking, yeah, it's time to go out to the car for a minute. Um, but the mama doesn't. What, I, I, I know we're not supposed to judge people, but, there's got to be a judgment in your heart, right? I mean, am I the only one who goes, mm, if they had just trained that child right, that child's going to be happy. Just think about how that child's going to be when they grow up and become president. Who knows? You know, they're, they're, going, to, they're going to have an attitude of that I'm the most important person here and the mama's not going to train them. The daddy's not training. They're not taking the effort to make this child behave. And, and what does that reveal? That reveals it's poor parenting. What does that reveal? That reveals that this child doesn't care and have respect for its parent. It has all those things that you judge about that child and about that relationship they have with their parent. Now think what the world thinks of us. Right? When, when we allow this stuff in our lives, when we're having the coarse joking, when we're having the bad attitudes, when we're talking about people behind their back, when we're doing all this, this evil stuff with the, the tongue that God has given us, what do people look on and they say, Boy, that's poor parenting. That's a Christian. God's really their father? Really? You know, it's, it's just the same thing. That child is the same as us if we're not doing it. What about um, 
Uh, where is the dad in that situation? It, it talks about the father's relationship with the child when they're being that disrespectful to the parents, when they're that disrespectful to the mother and to the clerks and anybody else. Uh, was he raised on television or in public schools? What type of man will he grow up to be? Will he even have a clue? What about a man that, that uh, when he grows up, is he, is he, is he going to flirt with other women? With his wife standing there, not, not realizing what it's going to do to hurt his, his, his compliments and the way he put, puts his eyes, is that, that going to hurt his wife? Well, what about the relationship we have with God? If, if we're allowing filthiness and foolish talking and coarse jesting, and we're, we're talking about things that are holy and to be sanctified in a, in a fun way, in a funny way, and we're just allowing that sort of conversation to be around us, then how does that look like how we were raised? Here's a list. <clears throat> what he gives us there is this is a list of things that is uh, not expected from a child whose mother and father love enough to discipline, direct, and to shepherd. These things from, that, from the last two verses are examples of no self-control, no direction, no thoughtful consideration of what happens next. It represents a living for the here and now. May we not be such a person. Rather, the opposite would be expected if we truly are the children of the king of the universe. We should be thankful. We should have that thankful attitude. Verse 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, King James, whoremonger, unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I beg you today, uh, I, I begin, sorry, I began reading, reading today a little bit of the promise of God that he's going to be uh, teaching us, that he's going to be putting in us what's right and wrong. The Spirit of God resides in us. He teaches us what is pleasing to God. And yet, even before that heavenly teacher comes to reside in us, there's a guide that was given to us at our birth, a right, a wrong, a perception that, uh, that we call uh, conscience. There is a there is a purity and there is a defilement. There is a way that walks unashamed in the light and a way that creeps about in the darkness, running from shadow to shadow. You know when you do wrong, no matter what the excuse, you know. And so to be able to live in such a way that weighs the outcome against the pleasures of the knee, uh, of the of the deed here presented is an assurity, no inheritance to the kingdom of God. The uh, one of the versions I, I the last version I went through puts it this way: You can be sure of this: No one uh, will have a place in the kingdom of Christ and of God if that person commits sexual sins, or does evil things, or is a person who self, selfish, selfishly wants more and more. A greedy person like that is serving a false god. What, what I'm trying to say there, I think I got a little bogged down in my typing. What I what I want to say there is that. Um, if we're clear conscience before God, then we have this right knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. And if we continue to uh, just continue going down that road of what's wrong, then we're not allowing Christ to be able to put into us this desire of what's right. And we're greedy and we're, and we're, and we're committing these sins and we do all these evil things. And, and, and God's saying, look, if that's what you truly want, then, then there's no inheritance here. There is no further going with the kingdom of God. 
Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty, King James, vain words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. No one can deceive you if you don't put your trust in them. Right? I mean, I'm not deceived by... I don't know right now. (laughs) I'm not deceived by somebody on the street corner uh, telling me about... um, you know, Ford and the evils of, of Chevy. And I, I don't care. I don't, number one, I don't know you. Uh, number two, I don't care. I got more things important to be thinking about. I, I, but if I put my trust in that person, if I think about them, if I put, if I think that they're trustworthy, um, then their voice has an authority and I choose to follow it. This is the, this verse is first and foremost a call for discernment, right? Let no one deceive you with empty or vain words. Empty words. Apparently, um, this is a deep concern for Paul. It is either repeated here or it's repeated in Colossians, because I don't know, they were both written in prison. I don't know which sense he was in prison when he wrote it, so I don't know which one he was first. But in Colossians chapter 2, 6-8, listen to these words. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, according to... Uh, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest any of you cheat you through philosophy and empty, same word, empty deceit, according to the traditions of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. You know, those words can come uh, from or be in the likeness of philosophy. Uh, they can be in the form of theology. We talked a lot this morning about the study of God or the, uh, theology in, in Revelation. And what those things could mean. Uh, Vain, empty, trickery, traditions of men. Provider. Provider, the sense of holiness, but not really. Colossians chapter 2, the last couple verses there, talking about uh, the holiness, but it's not really holiness. It's just vain traditions. In accordance to the way the world uh, works, not in accordance to the way our king has shown. This is a serious thing to consider before us. God's wrath comes because the list of these things that Paul has highlighted. Like it is a natural desire to be under the spout where the blessings come out. We should be looking at these and going, "It is. I want, Lord, and this is one of my prayers when I was going through this, Lord, I want it to be so keen in me. I want it to be so knowledgeable unto me that this is, this is where the wrath of God is coming from. I don't want to be over there. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be practicing it. I don't want to be enjoying the company of it. I, I want to be far from that because this is well, let's see. I, this is where the blessings of God are, and these are the things that are not the blessing of God. I don't want to be over there watching this on television. I don't want to be over this listening to the radio programs that that make jokes in light of uh, of things that are holy. I I don't want to be around people who who have these worldly uh, philosophies and things, lest I get sucked into that. Politics, oh my. You want to get sucked into the cares of the world? Listen to, uh, listen to the, all the stuff that they had, newscasts and articles and, and, and all the things that they say about that. It's like more and more worldliness that becomes more and more important. And to back up this, verse 7, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. As I was saying, right? This is... You just want to be really careful about what you listen to, what you allow in the ear gate, what you allow in the eye gate. Verse 8, For you were once, uh, and the King James, interestingly, translates the word sometimes, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walking as children of the light. 
Now, when I read that word, sometimes in King James, was, the context of that to me was, uh, you know, sometimes you're in the darkness and sometimes you're in the light. And there's this kind of this back and forth thing. That's not what that word means in Greek. It probably meant that in 1611. doesn't mean that today. So I would urge you to consider that word to be once. You were once in darkness. We were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. These are things that have happened, things that we're going to. I mean, that should be the proper mindset. I'm not saying that sometimes could be appropriate for some people who are in and out of God's grace, but what a cheap way to treat God's grace. That should not be named among us. We should try to follow him as hard as we can for the rest of our lives. It's not that long. It's about 70 years or so. Eh. For, for some of you guys, 70 years. For me, eh, probably, you know, I don't know. But... Um, for you were, you were once darkness, but now you are light of the world. Walk as children of the light. This is called positive affirmation. We were darkness, but now, now we are light. Now that his light is on us and we reflect his glory as the moon. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, this was part of my study. Uh, let me rephrase that. It's not that his light is on us and that we reflect his glory like the moon does. Like the sun, you know, the moon doesn't have a light of its own, right? Do I all have to teach that? You all know that. There's no, there's no, there's nothing inside that moon that turns on at night and, and lights up the sky. It's the reflection. And it's nice to say that we are the reflection of God as we, as we clean up our lives, as we have, uh, as we're a better channel for God's love than we can reflect his. But this verse doesn't say that. That, I'm not saying that's inappropriate, but this verse is not saying that. This says that it's not that his light is, is on us and that we reflect his glory as the moon passively does the sun. No, we are now recreated as lights, according to this verse. How then can that which is called light be involved in any darkness? If I had a flashlight and I was blinding George over here with this flashlight, high powerful flashlight, one of my son's powerful flashlight, and I say, now can you see the little dark spot off the left of the bulb in there? be able to see that right how can light be mixed mixed with darkness here's that word again walk right we get this word walk uh uh there near the end of that verse verse eight it says walk as children of the light uh children of the light going back to that discussion we had in verse two we're not called to sit in a chair and talk about it called to walk as children follow god's example um, listen to the Spirit and follow as a child follows the footsteps of the Father in the snow. You guys know that story, right? The snow's way too high for a child. It's like chest high for a child. And he's trying to follow Daddy. He can't follow Daddy in all that snow. He would take a, 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 a snow thrower or whatever they call it, blower. But what does he do? He steps in the same seat, the, the same places where his father's legs have gone, and he can follow his Daddy. That's the way we need to be. Living holy is way too big for us. But if we follow Christ... If we follow him, follow his footsteps, then we can we can make some progress. If uh, verse nine, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Somewhere in the DNA of the root of a tree, somewhere in the DNA, the makings of the sap inside of a particular tree, is the ability to create. An apple. And not just an any apple, but that tree is designed to make a Macintosh apple. It can't make a Granny Smith. It can't make a, a uh, whatever. It can only make a Macintosh apple. Well, not uh, we're not that lucky. <laughs> Our DNA, even after rebirth, seems to be infected by the old tree of sin. Our fruit, well, let's just say it uh, this way, is not always edible. 
The fruit that we sometimes produce is not that way. But when we're operating in the Spirit, saying yes, walking according to the Spirit and walking according, uh, and not walking according to the flesh, when we're being filled with the Spirit, His fruit is produced. A tree is lucky. It's going to do what it does. We have choices. We have choices. And every time we say no to the Holy Spirit, we're making a choice to infect us, reinfect ourselves with the old man. Uh, but if we're walking in righteousness, then His truth, His fruit will abound in us. If we're walking in the light. Uh, I have a story here, but for sake, I'm, I'm just going to sum it up by saying if you were, if you were um, in a refugee camp and all the dismal things about a refugee camp and everybody had the same tent from UCF or whatever the, whatever the world organization, you had the same food, you had the same circumstances, would you be known as the person who's thankful or the person who's griping and wanting more? I want my old house. I want my old stuff. If you're the person who's thankful, then, then you'll probably be known as the person who will help. And, and if you could just see that in this world, you know, are, are we going to be thankful and, and have peace because our eyes are on God or because our circumstances are not what we want? And then we can be available. Our fruit is going to be productive for those around us. Moving on. Verse 10. Uh, finding out was acceptable in the Lord in context to the, to the last uh, verse here we're talking about. For the fruit of the Spirit is in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out, or King James says, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. The Greek word here translated, translated as finding out or proving is a very interesting word. Strong has this defined as this, to test, literally or figuratively, by implication to approve, uh, to, to discern, to examine. It's used 23 times in the King James. And it's translated. The translators rendered that word. Their choice was to approvest, prove, alloweth, shall try, examine, trieth, uh, as in God which trieth our hearts. It, it appears the promise, uh, it appears the promise we can bank on here is not that we walk in his way and we and as we thus travel down the sidewalk, we will find a road map to the way of the Lord. It's not that, that as we just follow God, it's, it's going to be that way. Rather, it appears that on that sidewalk, there's several maps, and he's going to give us a discern, discernment. That's the right one. This is the one that's, that's published by God, and these are all published by people who think they know the right way. He's going to give us discernment. That's the promise that, that we need to be looking at. Uh, verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful work of darkness, but rather expose them. And I think King James has a different word for expose. I didn't write it down. But, huh? Reproof. Reproof. That's it. That's the word I was thinking. Um, but rather expose them or reprove them. Uh, one hangs... <clears throat> if you hang out with somebody, you spend time and you have shared experiences with, it seems together uh, is recognized by being with the other. It's If, I, if I'm hanging out with one person, it's... They, they, and if I spend all that time with them, a lot of their mannerisms, a lot of what they say and do, I'm going to be picking up. And if we're we're having fellowship with, if we're going to have fellowship, we're going to do that. That is just something we do. We just start using the same words as people. We start doing the same habits. And, and if we're going to be doing that, then be wise about who you're spending time with. 
be, be very wise, particularly if you're forced into the same office with somebody. You want to be really wise about what you're, what you're intaking so when you outgive to other people who want to spend time with you, they're not looking at that person, they're looking at Christ because we're trying to be more like Christ, not like this person. So we've got to be careful. Um, a good strategy here is to be really open with your struggles. If you're, if you're hiding things in your life and you're saying, I'm really struggling with this, but if you're just hiding things, it, then you are going to take on things to kind of cover that up. And if you're spending a lot of time with darkness, then darkness is going to be coming out. I, I have a lot more to say there, but I'm pushing on, and it's, that's a pretty deep thing to be thinking about. Verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You know, I, I got thinking about that verse, and I was thinking, where is the shame today? If you turn, if you read, um, you all know that I really, really enjoyed Pansy there for a long time, an author from the 18, 1800s. It's just a phenomenal stories, good stuff. And but the stuff that was absolutely shocking in her stories. I mean, you could tell as she was writing these stories, the things that were shocking to her were pride. That was a huge thing to her. The evil people are always prideful. The huge thing to her were drinking alcohol. Oh, that was huge. People who do that. Um, I, there were some things there that were huge to her that I had to scratch my head on. Like, uh, don't, don't ride in the, in, in the train on, on uh, Sunday because that makes other people work on the Sabbath. Okay. Um, but... There were things that were really powerful to, to her in the late 1800s. To us, it's like, eh. you know, my wife and I just just rented out this place down here, um, and and where I work, uh, we have people coming in to apply for jobs, and it's fascinating what people put on their Facebook accounts. Here's for the world to see who I really am, and they they've got children out of wedlock, and they got alcohol problems, and they got you know worldliness that they're claiming and jewelry and tattoos and like whoa get that off my phone and, and you got all this stuff that they're so proud of now some of it could be they're just doing the best they can with the results that they have they didn't follow god so they're in this situation here where they have these children out of wedlock or they have abusive relationships or they have they have all these things that they have and maybe they're just doing the best they can but why are they there <laughs> you know it just seems like Today's world with Hollywood and, and the stories and things like that, we, there is no shock anymore. There's no shame anymore. There's a celebration. And, and you know, Pansy was written in the late 1800s. This was written a lot earlier. <laughs> There's a lot of things in here that are considered shocking uh, to these pages that to us is, eh, eh, you know, whatever. So... Uh, Verse 10, uh, finding out or proving. We went through that. Verse 11, have no fellowship. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Verse 13, but all these things that are uh, uh, exposed or... Well, I can't read my writing. What's the King James? Reproved. Sorry? Reproved. Reproved. And once again, hey, that's right. We just went through that. But all these things that are exposed or reproved are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. That's one of those Paulinian 
sentences that kind of did this to me. I was like, I don't, I don't understand that at all in any translation. I didn't understand. Um, it didn't make sense. However, I did find I did find this. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Then it goes on into the next verse, adding this for anything that becomes visible is light. The idea is that the thing in darkness, the thing that we are not uh, to be doing, these deeds of darkness, when they're brought out into the light, uh, they become like themselves. There's, there's a secret sin, let's say covetousness. There's a covetousness in your heart and you just desire this and you want this and you're not satisfied with anything. As long as you keep it within your heart, it breeds darkness. It makes you not following God. It makes you say no to the Holy Spirit. It, it, it produces flesh, more and more flesh, right? But we bring it out into the light and it says here that it becomes light. How does that happen? I confess that sin. And because I confess that sin, God has pointed out to me, this is sin and I want you to change. I'm dealing with it now. Not only that, but let's say, uh, Brother So-and-so, I'm not even say a name, I was about to. But let's say, Brother So-and-so there in the back row. <laughs> He's, he struggles with covenants, but he'd never seen it as a sin. I come up here and I confess, I have this going on in my life, brothers. I really need prayer. I need this and that. Oh, that's a sin. And it becomes a light for him to be able to see, I need to change my ways. So God has this ability to take uh, those things that are, that are darkness in our lives, when they're exposed, when they're dealt with, He makes them light. The evilness of covetousness can become light if it's dealt with in God. So I urge you, if you've got things that are, that are growing flesh within you, and not growing the Spirit of God, expose it because God's going to do beautiful things with that sin. He's going to do beautiful things with it. Verse 14, therefore, he says, awake, you who are sleepers, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. You know how beautiful it is that we were dead. We were darkness. You get what Paul's saying? We were darkness, but now we've been made light. Earlier, he was talking about this. It's not a fact that we're that we're reflecting the light of God. He's made us light. And I'm not preaching some cult here. I'm not saying that we become God or Godlike even. But I'm saying that He's taken the darkness, the death of what we were when we said no to God, no to God, no to God. And then that moment when we say yes to God, we become light. And God can look at that light and He can show to others, see that light? That light right there? I redeemed that light out of that darkness. You watch Him. And then you can, He can, it's just, oh, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. All right. Um, Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Uh, see then, because of this, we are now the lights. He has chosen to illuminate the path of others. He is not using the church. He is not using clay tablets anymore. He's not even using the Bible. He is saying we have been lit up to show the path. Now, of course, I'm saying he's using the church. And of course, I'm saying he's still using the Bible. But he has chosen the foolishness of preaching. To bring the good news. He's not putting his hand on a clay tablet and writing out to Ten Commandments anymore. He's not saying that this one man in Rome is the voice of God. Follow ye him. He's not saying that. He's saying that your life has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have become lights for this purpose that you would lead others out of dark paths. Oh my. Where are we? Um, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Have I skipped... Yeah, I'm skipping a lot, man. Um, what I could say about 15 real quick is to say this, that if we say that only the fool says that there is no God, how much more is those who said, yes, there is a God. Yes, I have been a sinner. Yes, God has redeemed me, but I'm going to act like I'm not redeemed. 
If one who says there is no God is a fool, what word do we use for that fellow? Right? Um, redeeming the days for the times are evil. I, I just, I just, I thought of a story to illustrate that, and I'll just do it real quick to say that you know there was a fellow who who had a heart, he had a passion, he had a concern, he had a desire to see this little village in Africa uh, not die, and they were dying. And so what did he do? He sent a team over, and they dug a well, and they got a spigot there, and it's all stainless steel and concrete and sterile, and it, and he has water, and still dying despite his efforts. And, and there's, the government's now closed. You can't get anybody in there. He sells his mansion. He does all these things. He goes beyond what anybody else would do. And he says, you, I am paying your way. You need to go over there. I've, I've done everything I can to get you there. You've got to go there and you've got to tell people to stop drinking from that poison lake and start drinking out of that well. And so you go there. And all the time that you spend... Getting over jet lag. Oh, it's just, you know, it's a whole other side of the world. You gotta get over that. And then, and then, you know, I'm gonna have people come in here and sit down and talk to me about the well and the, and the lake and the versus this. And I'm gonna have classes here in this house. And, you know, the house is pretty ugly. And so you spend time putting up decorations and putting down carpet and you spend time doing everything to make this house presentable. And then you say, you know, I can't just go out there and say, idiots, that's lake water is like muddy. Why are you drinking that? And you got the, uh, I got to study their habits and I got to study this and I got to do that. And meanwhile, people are dying. You know, little kids are dying. A husband and wife who are expecting their first child are dying because you're polishing your speech. Or you're saying that, you know, maybe he'll send somebody else over. I need help doing this. He sent you. God died. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have an intimate relationship with God and be filled with His Holy Spirit. And we polish our speeches. And we think somebody else can do this. And it's somebody else's gift. And, and we come up with all these excuses. And we did. You know, there's a, there's a can back there with suggestions for, for evangelism. Don't I? You know, the one fear I have about that can is that this is this is my job. I'm going to write this down and drop it off. No, it's our job to follow through on these things. Have the ideas. Be praying. God, how can I reach the lost? It's COVID season. I can't I can't take my family down to the Eugene Mission and and sing and preach and and I don't want to sound holy, guys. I've had that idea for years and I've never done it. Uh, well, no, we did it before we were married once, um, but. There are people dying, still drinking out of the same pond because that's what they've always done and they know no better. And it's tradition for them to go to that pond and drink of the diseased water, even though there is fresh water offered to them. We just got to get out of the hut and tell them. We just got to do it. Um, hmm. Do not be uh, uh, unwise, but understand. Oh, man. Ephesians chapter 5 goes on and on and on. Far longer than my clock does. And I got so many things here to share. Uh, submitting one to another. I guess, you know, that was one of the hardest parts uh, of this whole thing is, the, you know, submitting one to another out of love uh, and then start talking about husbands and wives. And you know, it's easy for me to say, husbands, you got to stand up and be more like Christ and die for your wife and do things. Because that's easy, right? I mean, that's that's. And, and you have to, you know, and, and, and you know, women, you got to submit. Uh, on to the next thing. It's hard for me to go there, but the the point is, there is a beautiful picture there, and and I guess I'll close with this, even though there's a lot more. It's frustrating. Um, 
But I'll close with this. If you can think of it this way. God, <laughs> Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, the One who knows absolutely everything there is to know, and beyond that, created human. Do you think He created human needing anything? It's a complete human. It has absolutely everything it needs to be a human. The likeness of God Himself. This is a perfect word, uh, work that He has done. He has done the perfect work of making human. And then, He takes the time and the effort through a work exercise to say, I want to show you something. Go name those animals. Well, there's a, there's a, a bull and a, and a cow. And there is a, a you know, I, I don't know the different things, but there's a boy and a girl. There's a, there's a man and a, well, not a, okay. There's a, there's a male and a female. We'll go there. There is a male and a female. And, and he, God takes him through that exercise. This perfect, wonderfully created being, he takes him through this exercise and he says this, hmm, there's something missing. Now, God doesn't say that. He just says, eh, this is the one thing that's not right. Perfect God said, mm, no, there's something not right here. And, and Adam, human, uh, is put to sleep and then God creates another being and he puts, he puts responsibilities and natural abilities into this one and responsibilities and natural abilities into this one. And, and he says, I have taken the one perfect thing and I have separated it and now it's your guys' job to come back together into perfectness, into oneness. One thing, God does this. This is a God's role. God takes a one, makes it two, and then makes it one again. What a beautiful mystery. What a beautiful mystery. And then, we go all through the Old Testament with the story, and then we hear here in Revelation and elsewhere that God pictures the church and Him and a oneness of a marriage. What a beautiful picture. God, almighty, awesome, perfect, with no needs, with no needs, makes one himself. Doesn't he have anything? That's... But then, somehow, in the mystery, there is a group of people that he says, those are mine, and they're my bride. And there's going to be a oneness there at the, in Revelation, right? The last chapter. There's a oneness there. What a mystery. God who needs nothing says, I want to have this relationship. This is my body. And if it's my body, um, submitting one to another, and, and, and a lot of things that he shares here near the end of the thing is a powerful lesson, not just to the women that, that need to obey and submit, and, but it's to us. Are we seeing ourselves as being submitted to that? I, I, I have a story in here about what happens when there isn't submission. What happens? <laughs> Forgive me, people. I can't, it's just too much stuff for me just to like, ah, chuck it. But what happens to a single cell in your body? What's your cell's responsibility? The cell divides and makes another cell and makes it it's your lungs uh, become lungs and your arms become arms and the flesh and the muscles and all these cells do these. But what happens one day when a cell goes, eh, I don't want to be a muscle. I want to be a lung cell. And, and so it, it, it does what it does. And this actually happens, that doesn't become lungs, but it, it, it becomes independent and it starts reproducing its independentness. And we call that cancer. Now go back to those old books I was talking about. Uh, Pansy and some of those other ones. Even uh, uh, Anna Green Gables. If you look at what's cancer called in those books? Does anybody know? Anybody like old literature? 
Huh? Stupidity. <laughs> it's called consumption. If you read in old books that they died of consumption or they had consumption, we're all sad because they had consumption. Well, that's cancer. It's because it consumes. So if we're a cell in God's body and we want to become so independent that we split churches and we split brotherhoods and we, and we, we form our own de denominations and doctrines and we, and we do all these things, what's the difference? We're consuming the body of God. And what, is the, what happens when you have cancer? Ah, it'll go away. It'll go away. I'll just eat the right foods. You know, exactly. There's a surgery that has to happen. There's blood that has to happen. There's a knife that has to happen. There is a radical change in your life that has to happen. Yes, it includes food and, and medications and, and submitting to doctors and things that you don't want to do and your hair falling out and all these things. But all these things have to happen because of that independence grows and grows and grows and it has to be dealt with. Ladies and gentlemen, he says here in Ephesians that we need to submit to one another. And that, that is an example. That is the, the ultimate proof. Are you walking in the Spirit? Because we have that tendency to be cancerous. We have that tendency to be consuming and, and have consumption in the body. That is our tendency. Are we submitting one to another? Are we obeying? Are we saying yes to the Spirit and no to our flesh? Because if we're not, then we have to be dealt with. We have to be dealt with. And the saddest thing is, it's not as radical as a knife and blood and, 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 and sometimes it comes on judgment day. And that's a scary thought. If you're independent to enough where you can live with sin that hurts God, if you can live with sin and be okay with saying, nah, not now, not yet. I'll live with this a little bit longer. And then judgment day happens. That's when the radicalness happens. That's when the knife comes out. And that's not the time to be dealing with it. Because you have an opportunity to turn the darkness into light and be a roadmap to people. I mean, just mm, so much here. Ephesians chapter 5, I highly recommend it. I, I suggest that you read through all of Ephesians. You know, 5 is actually a commentary of 4, I think, if you go it that way. And, and 6 has a lot to say about 5. I mean, there's just so much richness in Ephesians. And I highly recommend reading Ephesians. And then going on, you know, the other books are great. Um, but God's excited about making us walk in Him and doing what He's called us to do because it keeps us healthy. It keeps the cancer and the consumption away. So, thank you for your time. Lord, um, I apologize, Lord. I, maybe it was too wordy. There were so many things there of you that should have been said that, that I got in the way. Um, but Lord, I trust your Holy Spirit is a teachable, uh, that you would teach us, that you would continue on, that you possess us, that you would show us where we're going wrong and where we're walking in the flesh and allowing that flesh to grow. And Lord, we, we ask that you just, just reveal more and more of you because you are so attractive. We all in this room, all of us, Lord, want to be more like you because you're so beautiful. You're so amazing. We want to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.